1995, legendary ambient pioneer and producer Brian Eno resolved to keep a diary for an entire year. In it, he muses about all kinds of things, but there's one thought that has stuck with me more than any other, and it deals with limitations of recording media and our love-hate relationship with technologies that can't help but impart their own unique signature to the resulting audio. He said, Whatever you now find weird, ugly, uncomfortable, and nasty about a new medium will surely become its signature. CD distortion, the jitteriness of digital video, the crap sound of 8-bit, all of these will be cherished and emulated as soon as they can be avoided. It's the sound of failure. So much modern art is the sound of things going out of control, of a medium pushing to its limits and breaking apart. The distorted guitar sound is the sound of something too loud for the medium supposed to carry it. The blues singer with the cracked voice is the sound of an emotional cry too powerful for the throat that releases it. The excitement of grainy film, of bleached out black and white, is the excitement of witnessing events too momentous for the medium assigned to record them. A few years after Brian Eno captured this thought, all the way across the Atlantic Ocean, in an elementary school in New Jersey, the wheels of a TV cart squeak and clang as they move down a hallway. A substitute teacher is about to let the class watch a tape about, well, I don't know what, and what's on the tape doesn't matter nearly as much as the fact that it's on tape in the first place. And she pops in a VHS tape and it comes out like all warbly and like audio's dropping out and it's going, doing these crazy pitch bends and the screen's doing all these crazy psychedelic things. A second grade kid named Tom Majeski hears the sound of degradation, of imperfection, of a VHS deck that needs to be cleaned but probably won't be. And it makes an impression on him, which eventually inspires him to make something that many years later would make an impression on me and maybe on you too. This is Sound Journey, the show where we explore sound creation and processing by learning about the story behind our favorite audio devices. And this is episode one, Generation Loss. I'm Tom Majeski. I created and run Cooper FX. Um, we're out here in Minneapolis and we build pedals. The way I've described it to, you know, my non-musician friends has been like, basically the gen loss is just a, you know, amalgamation of a couple of different effects. You've got a low and high pass filter. You have this noise software section that's been, you know, tweaked and revised over the years. Wow and Flutter are like the two, in my opinion, main, you know, effects that make up this uh, tape and VHS emulation. And so Wow is gonna sound like a, it's gonna sound like a vibrato, like slow, slower, moving waves, uh, modulating the pitch of the incoming signal. Whereas Flutter is super quick. I think technically it's like characterized as any pitch modulation at like 20 kilohertz or higher. I think those two are the key building blocks. That noise circuit, it like started just as a white noise post filter because that's kind of what I think of when I think of as VHS uh, degradation, like each time you record a new layer, you have this static white noise floor that's boosted each time it's recorded. But 
a lot of people weren't really super into that sound. So to make it more dynamic, I ended up taking like a delay line and modulating it with a noise source. So you still kind of get this, um, you know, this crinkle and crackle and hiss, but it's more dynamic and it comes through, I don't know, I hate the word organic as a buzzword, but it just feels more real. To go through the iterations of the gen loss, just through every product that's got some sort of gen loss DNA in it, I think it goes back probably to like 2016, I would say, is when I first started making the gen loss. That was mostly me just hacking together different types of effects and not totally knowing what it was doing. It was more like me doing a digital pedal board in a pedal. So, you know, I took chunks of different software and mashed them together until I was kind of happy with the sound. That first one had this uh, the static white noise hiss that just went straight to the output. It wasn't, it wasn't pre-filtered, so you couldn't shape the sound with any filters. Um, and that's when I first started getting people saying things like, oh, can you do something about the white noise, make it go pre-filter and make it sound more like a vinyl cracking. So the second iteration of the gen loss, people call it the noise mod. I think I called it the noise mod too, but that's where the white noise generator was replaced with a delay line that you modulate with a white noise. So you kind of get those characteristics of white noise, but again, it sounds more like this concept we call flutter, the dark world, it was a reverb, but I basically just tacked on that wow and flutter section from my new concept of the gen loss that would later become the Chase Bliss gen loss. So I tacked that section onto the tails of the reverb. And then, um, yeah, then came the Chase Bliss gen loss, which was just, you know, more focus on the wow and flutter as opposed to the other stuff, like the noise and stuff. The first time I heard generation loss, I was like, dang, like that, you know, I didn't have any of, you know, I would never be able to design something like that because I didn't, I don't have the digital chops that, you know, that Tom has. That's Joel Cordy, the owner of Chase Bliss Audio. Tom and Joel collaborated on a limited edition generation loss that featured Tom's generation loss circuit inside a Chase Bliss enclosure. It's, it's like I, I've experienced this feeling lots of times now where I get a little envious, you know, I'm like, I'm like, I get this like little bit of jealousy burning inside me, but it's like, then I know I'm like, man, you really think that's cool, don't you? And it almost seemed like, you know, when you were in seventh grade or something and you really like somebody and you, and then it turns out they really like you too. And so we were just like two people and then I almost couldn't believe it because I wanted to work with them so bad and just hearing, hearing it and playing with it, I, absolutely loved it that was one thing i just always dreamed about was having a generation loss pedal and a chase bliss enclosure so that was like very very special to me and i'm it might it might be my favorite pedal like you know i just love i just love that i just love what he's done as of now that's my favorite iteration just because that those are the things of the degradation that I was interested in pursuing. But then we've also got these arcade programs which are kind of distilled versions of the gen loss simplified into just filtering and wow and flutter. So nixing the gen knob and the noise knobs. Um, and then finally, 
sitting on my desk is like the final knock on wood. It's the final, final iteration of the Genlos V2. So it's, I think it's going to be the most fully featured. It's got the most control over all the sound. That's the whole timeline of the Genlos. All the things that I make are birthed out of my own uh, want for them. I, I think people really kind of latch on if they see how interested and excited you are about a product. And I think that excitement's hard to contain. So people just get enthusiastic about it because you're enthusiastic about it. Because clearly the person who made this product you're talking about that was the result of their own desire. They did it because they wanted to, not because it was like uh, something they felt like they needed to do. The Genlas concept definitely sparks back to 2011, I think, and there was this album called Era Extraña by Neon Indian, and it's still one of my favorite albums of all time. And just all over that record, you can hear this. It's To me, it seems like VHS vibes, and I just fell in love with that sound, and there was nothing really on the market that did anything like that. Like, there wasn't really a lo-fi pedal that did what I was wanting to do. So I was living in Colorado. I was going to school at Colorado State University. And I, I definitely have memories of sitting in either my dorm room or the library when I was supposed to be studying for like a, some, some other test. I remember sitting in the library running like simulations of what the code would sound like. I remember sitting in a different library writing the software and designing the circuit boards. Um, I was doing civil engineering. There's not a whole lot of overlap. I was lucky enough to take some programming classes that actually, in retrospect, I think did help me a lot. Overall, like there's not much application of structures and soil to um, pedals, unfortunately. I used to really like the band Green Day, and I remember I was probably in like sixth or seventh grade when Boulevard of Broken Dreams came out and there was this tremolo guitar. I didn't know that at the time and I was like, what is that? Like, that's so weird sounding. And then they played it live and I was like, oh, they're faking, that can't be a real guitar. <laughs> and I don't know, I remember that's how I started looking at the pedals actually because I realized, oh, it actually was just a single pedal. And that isn't, you know, that absurd of a sound in retrospect. I mean, we've gotten a lot crazier now, so. But I guess to a 12-year-old, that was mind-blowing guitar sound. Uh, I didn't really put pen to paper with pedals and designing my own until I did the it was called the AARP. And that was another pedal I just wanted just because actually it was a Muse song. It was Map of the Problematic. There's this pitch sequenced uh, section on guitar. And I just wanted to recreate that sound. I didn't really have any experience or knowledge designing a pedal at that point. And honestly, I just dove in and tried it and it, it worked. So sometimes you get lucky with that sort of stuff and it just works out. And I'm lucky that my first attempt at, at building that pedal did work out because I mean, if it hadn't, I probably wouldn't have continued. And I guess it was just lucky. The beginning of any creative endeavor, whether it's making a record or a film or a guitar pedal, can feel a lot like standing at the bottom of a mountain and looking up at the top and thinking, hey, I'm going to go up there real quick. 
And so filled with excitement, you start to climb and climb and climb and climb. Eventually, the excitement wears off. And though you're still climbing, you can't see the bottom anymore. And you also can't see the top. And you start to feel lost. But you know that you have to keep climbing. One day you'll be like rolling and like you'll, you'll get everything right. And it's like, yes, 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 everything's working out. And then another day you could just be sitting at your computer trying to solve, you know, one minor problem that you just can't figure out. And you spend the whole day doing that and feel like you get nowhere. And then you get like angry and depressed. And it's like, what is wrong with me? I'm a failure and I can't figure this stupid thing out. But eventually it comes, you know, it, things work themselves out for the most part, um, as long as you, you're persistent with it and you really try to figure out what's going on and what's, what's the, the problem you're trying to solve. Th that's the part of the process that sticks out to me the most. Just those, the contrast of the good days and the bad days. Every time I, I build up a prototype, my heart's pounding a little bit faster. And I'm like, oh God, please work, please work, please work. And then I plug it in and it's like, yes, we did it. But I mean, the, the feeling is still the same. So I mean, that, that, that's a good thing, right? I, st I still enjoy doing this and it's excitement about what I can do today and what, you know, what new sounds that I can make today. So it's really that simple for me. I'm obviously not alone in this feeling um, that we just kind of want to hear those sounds of our childhood and bring up all those warm feelings of nostalgia. And how do you do that but just through trying to recreate those sounds? And um, I think the lo-fi genre kind of hits that nail on the head. It just evokes so many memories of your childhood. and. It's all due to the fact that we have these shared common memories of, I don't know, that substitute teacher wheeling in the TV in class and that long drawn out synth note on the old messed up VHS player. We all have these common memories and whether or not those defects were intended, um, they impacted our memories and, you know, you're always trying to recreate the past, aren't you? Musicians want to have as many colors in their uh, palette board as possible. So just having the option to, if you want to, uh, degrade your sound, that's great. But at the same time, you also have the option to keep it super crisp and, you know, hi-fi, whatever that means. I think that's the beauty of having this modern technology to be able to emulate these imperfect things so you can really have a neutral sound that has no degradation and you can you know choose which flavors you want to add from that you know whole lo-fi genre into your sound as opposed to having to do it the real way and like accept all the flaws that accompany you know uh, vhs and tape recordings i think the biggest part of the quote-unquote texture of the gen loss is that flutter control. I think it's it's just a, a different texture for you to work with. And I, I don't really know of any other pedals that have that same texture. I think of something that colors your sound, not like a filter would, but kind of 
recreates it and reimagines it and is incorporated with it rather than just affecting it. So your signal becomes something else. And that's how I'm describing texture here. And I think the flutter and noise controls on the gen loss are really the, the biggest texture generators on the pedal, much more so than say like the, the filters or um, even the wow control. Um, one guy sent me an audio recording of something really interesting he did with Generation Lost Pedal. So he would record something on his computer, then send it through the Generation Lost Pedal, and record that affected audio file, and then send that back through the Generation Lost Pedal. Just in a repeating cycle. And I mean, that's true generation loss the idea of copying something and then copying those flaws and then copying those flaws on top of new flaws and just repeating that cycle. So that was probably one of the more interesting ways I've heard the gen loss being used. And in a million years, I wouldn't think to do that. I think basically it just comes down to the fact that there's so many people making pedals and how else do you stand out in a, in a world that has, you know, thousands, I think literally thousands of guitar pedal manufacturers. Um, the only way to get noticed is by doing something a little bit different and I look at my peers who do things that are different and those are the ones that I truly look up to and try to emulate. And so I kind of take the cue from them on what what's risky but still not crazy, if that makes sense. I love the gen loss and I love the concept of it and I, you know, it's near and dear to my heart, but it just has been feeling like it's just my one hit wonder, you know? And at a certain point, I just want to be like, I know I'm a terrible businessman when I say this because people want, want to buy it from me. So at a certain point, it's just like, I want to move on and keep trying different things. And um, I feel like, I'm a little nervous that I'm being pegged into this hole where I'm just like the gen loss guy. So that's kind of been the major inhibitor to my excitement for that pedal. It's comforting for me to know that Tom, who has without question created a modern classic guitar pedal, still wrestles with the same doubt, fear, and uncertainty as any artist. That he's pleased by the work he's done so far, but that he intends to keep working and pushing and leaning into discomfort. In short, to keep climbing. I, for one, can't wait to see what he comes up with next. I love hearing the story of how my favorite pedals came into existence. Every story is as unique as the effect itself. But I also love hearing how musicians that I admire utilize the effect and use it to take their music to the next level. One of my absolute favorite ambient guitarists is Andrew Shabilla of Ambient Endeavors. And I reached out to Andrew and asked him if he would just talk to us for a few minutes about how he uses the generation loss and what his favorite things about it are. Here's Andrew. I love the generation loss because of, I think the nostalgia that it drums up. 
I'm someone that kind of oscillates between wanting to play really uh, pristine, clean, um, and someone wanting to get that like really organic kind of old uh, retro texture for loops and for um, layers in my ambient music. And the generation loss just does that. It brings you back to this era of like imperfections and um, random natures of noise and texture and, and movement that I think is really cool for um, ambient layers and texturing and when you don't want things to sound predictable or perfect or pristine. My favorite feature of the generation loss is probably the combination of the gen control and the filters. Um, you can just get such cool combinations by messing with those knobs. Um, anywhere from these like really bright, almost metallic um, abrasive sounds to like really rolled off, kind of muffled, um, thick, dark um, sounds. I think it pairs really well with a couple different types of pedals. Um, first off, I almost always like have it towards the end of my chain, but I'll throw a good stereo reverb after it. Uh, something like a Mercury 7 uh, by Maris or the Nunabur Immerse. Something that just kind of drags the, the warble and the, the grittiness of the textures out um, and lets it just sort of dissipate. And the other type of pedal I'd say is something like um, the Montreal Assembly Count to Five. Um, the, if you guys have played that pedal, you know that there's this crazy kind of like shimmery pitch shifting movement and reverse delay and all that kind of stuff going on. And so running that like pretty bright, um, pretty percussive delay or, or pitch shifting thing into the gen loss. Um, and then just manipulating it with the filters and with the other noise and modulation uh, features of it uh, creates some really cool sounds to kind of mellow out um, the the brightness of the delay and also to just give it a you know a modulation kind of waver. Um, so those are the two that I, I mainly like to run around the gen loss. I reach for the gen loss really when I need to kind of dirty something up or um, give something that lo-fi, old school, vintage, whatever the buzzword of choice is for that sound. Uh, mainly I'll run it, like I said, at the end of my chain to process loops, to process like synth pads, um, just to, again, kind of erode some of that pristine sound and, and give it a real organic character and um, and texture with the filters and with the modulation. I think when you're building out loops and you're playing these same phrases that end up just repeating themselves over and over, uh, a pedal like the Gen Loss is great because it sort of overlays this character or this feel or this vibe to this really repetitive recurring phrase that you're playing and gives it a newness kind of almost each time it repeats because of the the random nature and the unpredictability to it so that's one of the coolest parts about this pedal
I'm Andrew Shabilla, and I make music as ambient endeavors, always straight ahead, and I play guitar in a, a number of groups around Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find me on Instagram, Ambient Endeavors. Uh, you can hear my music on Spotify, Apple Music, all the normal places under Ambient Endeavors and Always Straight Ahead. And you can also find some switches and cables and utility uh, guitar equipment that I build and sell under Analog Endeavors. My thanks to Andrew. He's also recently created a highly curated store for audio effects called Little Box, which you can find on Instagram as well. Thanks to Tom and Joel for talking about the generation loss. Cooper and Chase Bliss are both phenomenal companies, but I would imagine that if you made it this far, you already know that. The show was produced, recorded, and scored by me, Matt Lowry, as a way not only to distract myself from the enigma that has been 2020, but also because I genuinely love audio creation, processing, and the intersection of engineering and sound. You can follow my sound journey at instagram.com slash M-A-T-T-L-O-W-E-R-Y, Matt Lowry. That wraps up episode one of Sound Journey. More episodes are on the way. Thanks for joining us.